Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast. We've got Lucia Sarmiento on the show today. She's a saxophonist and guitarist who tours with Pitbull. Uh, she's got regular content happening on YouTube, focusing on saxophone gear and educational aspects surrounding saxophone. She's completely crushing the Instagram game. Uh, she, uh, she's got a single out on Spotify now called Escape that has over 200,000 streams. and She's gearing up for some more and bigger releases. I keep seeing her pop up as featured soloists on, or featured artists on tracks by others as well. Uh, I'm sure there's many, many great things coming. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lucia Sarmiento. <sighs> <laughs> What's up? Good morning, Adam. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you were just, uh, you were like in LA. Were you just in LA like yesterday? Yes. I just got back to town yesterday. We were doing the NASCAR. I don't really know much about sports. So I don't know sure. what it was, but it was like a NASCAR race, and we opened sure. for it, basically. Nice. Yeah, the, the clash, the NASCAR clash, yes, right? Yes, the NASCAR clash. Yeah, that's right. That's very cool. Uh, so, yeah, NASCAR is car racing, right? That's not, it's not, uh, it's not really my scene either, but I've got a mm -hmm. lot of friends that are very into NASCAR. That's a huge, that's actually like a huge thing. How, were, were there like yeah. thousands and thousands and thousands of people there? Was it, was oh, it yeah. Did it feel like a show? It didn't feel like a show at all. You know, the thing about these big shows is that we're wearing in-ears. Yeah. So sometimes there's a lot of people out there, but you feel like you're in your own bubble. Sure. It's very different from playing even like a jazz show in like a small venue. Interesting. Because you only hear, <laughs> you hear what you want to hear in your in-ears. Right. Mm -hmm. Cool. What do you want to hear in your in-ears? What are you asking for? I like to hear the click, the drummer, and myself. And also a little bit of crowd. And of course, a little bit of Pitbull, too. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. You talked about the difference between playing like a small jazz club and a big show and, and being able to sort of like curate what you hear in your ears. How does that change the experience of playing music? Like, does it, does it feel different than playing a, a small jazz club in terms of like the, the musicians that are on the stage? Is the relationship with the music different when you're in that context? I haven't given that much thought, to be honest, but it's more about feeling like you you see the people i guess i could ask for more crowd in my in-ears and that's something i've thought about ah, i haven't done yet but like when you're in an intimate jazz setting you know you feel so much more connected to the people that are there even if it's just 20 people you know you can see their faces and their eyes and their facial expressions uh in the big gigs you can't really see much of that yeah that's wild you know i played uh I played the Montreal Jazz Fest with Youngblood Brass Band. We did like the the headline stage there, and there was like a hundred thousand people. I mean, it was insane. Whoa. And there and that's like a ten piece band, uh, and there's there are like twenty lines just for the drums, you know. So there's like not enough lines most places <laughs> we go to, for everyone to have in ears. So it's like we're basically monitors, right. uh, and playing a show like that without in ears was was wild. Um, and oh, all, you guys you know, play with monitors in a yeah. big, big stadium. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, and it's like out, you know, in Montreal, it's like out in, it's in downtown. So it's out on the street and they basically like, they project the sound back. So like a, like a football field back, there's another set of speakers and then it projects the sound farther back. And wow. it's, pr it's pretty insane. That's definitely the biggest, I mean, you're like on a stadium tour. So you're, you're like <laughs> experiencing this maybe every night, but, um, yeah, that was my like one experience with playing to a big show, and that was like fly in, sound check really fast. Mm. Half the band wasn't even there for sound check because half the people's flights were delayed or whatever, and then just like do the show. Right. Uh, so it was kind of a whirlwind. Yeah, sometimes it's like that, you know. <laughs> you just have to go fast. 
Totally. And was that what LA was like? Because that was a one-off, right? It was a one-off, yes. Thankfully, we had the... So uh, I flew there two days before. So the night before the show, we had like a three-hour long rehearsal. Also, because it was going to be broadcasted on Fox Sports, I think. So when it's a TV thing, it has to sound really good. It has to look really good. So we actually rehearsed and we ran the songs um, like maybe two, three times. Um, but for other gigs, other one-offs that we have, um, we don't. Sometimes we only do sound check and then we go. Okay. Um, so you have to be very prepared all the time. Cool. Mm-hmm. Is every song to a click? Yes, everything is to a click. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. You like it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. <laughs> cool. Cool. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm curious. Just like, can you talk a little bit about? Um, you're from Peru originally, mm-hmm. right? You came to the United States to go to school. Uh, can you talk about the process of of making that transition from being a you know what we would call high school here? I don't know what it's called in Peru, but the equivalent mm-hmm. of like coming out of high school and going into college and coming to the United States and being in a whole new place. Did you think? Did you long term? Were you thinking I'm going to be here forever? I definitely want to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what was going on in your mind in that? huge transformation that huge uh transition for you well i guess i always knew well since i started high school i knew i want to be a musician and i knew in peru there was really no opportunities for me out there you know like i could have been playing salsa or um just done this i don't know this small gigs that from i I heard from from friends that they would start at 2 a.m and end at 6 a.m and it would just be straight salsa music and I was like I don't think I want to do that also because Lima is a dangerous city so I always thought like I have to get out of here because as a girl um, my parents are never going to sleep if I am a musician here right they're going to be so worried so I always wanted I'm going to go somewhere else and I guess it wasn't too hard for me to leave because I was I was 18 19 so I didn't really care about much you know I was just like I want to follow my dreams um so I was very proactive about it. I remember I researched a lot of schools. I applied, I applied to a couple schools in Germany. Mm. Um, I ended up going to Buenos Aires for a year. And then I applied for the school here in the United States. And I ended up getting a scholarship. So I made the move here. So I ended up moving twice, countries twice in 2013. Wow. Um, and I mean, I guess I didn't, I mean, as a 19, 18 year old, you don't really have a concept of future or anything you're just very in the present right so I guess my dream was I'm gonna be a rock star I'm gonna be a jazz star I want to be the best saxophone player in the world whatever that means Um, and I had no idea how to craft that path you know because with music there's so many different routes that you can take there's no set anything so I guess I just kind of figure it out as time passed. And sure. well, I started with the social media thing, right? Um, but but yeah, I mean, the, the school thing now, like almost 10 years later, I think about it and I'm like, wow, that was a very big decision that I made when yeah, I was huge. a child, basically. Yeah. And it impacted my life so much. But in that moment, it seemed just, oh, this is just fun. I'm going to do it because I want to have fun, you know? And that's sort of like the power of, of loving music and loving the saxophone. You know, it's like that, that kind of thing can take you anywhere. You'll go, right. yeah, I'll follow, I'll follow whatever, wherever this goes. 
Um, that's one of mm-hmm. the beautiful things about being a musician too, is you get so many opportunities as you're experiencing now, so many opportunities to travel all over the world, play for tons of people. I mean, that mm-hmm. aspect certainly. Um, but early on, it's just this like, it's just this innate love for the, for the thing that kind of propels you. Um, right. what, what, what captured your ear with saxophone? Like why, why saxophone for you? Mm, I guess, well, I was, uh, when I was like 11 or so, I wanted to play the flute so I did for a couple of years, and then I saw the kids in band that had the saxophone that was way, it was like a way more badass flute. So I was like, oh, I want to do that. Uh, and it was louder, and it was bigger, and it was weird shaped, you know? Yeah. So that was it. You know, it was like, oh, I wanna just want to be louder. <laughs> sure. Um, and then later, I guess, um, I don't know, I started getting into jazz. I remember the first time I heard Bebop, Charlie Parker and Chris Potter. Mm-hmm. I hated it. I was like, what is this? You know, I don't, <laughs> it's horrible. I don't get it. And I started getting into jazz fusion because I always liked rock. I played the guitar. Yep. And then fusion was more like a mix of both things, right? Oh, the saxophone is there, but it sounds like rock, I guess. Or sure. it has rock elements. So... Uh, I always liked fusion, you know, like Mike Stern and uh, Yellow Jackets and the Brecker Brothers. So I guess that was my start. Um, and just the, I mean, I always liked the very kind of, I mean, I'm like the shreddy saxophone players. Yeah. Um, and it was like this curiosity that I wanted to figure out how are they doing that? Because I sound so bad on this, you know, and <laughs> how do they sound so good? So it was like, it's been a lifelong process. I mean, you know, right? To yeah, how do yeah, I make course. this sound better? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's that's mm-hmm. one of the beautiful things about music too is that it's it's a it's a process that takes time and takes commitment, and so it sort of teaches us this sense of delayed gratification, right? You can't yeah. have it immediately. It's like you can hear you can hear that you sound different than Bob Mitzer or you sound different than Chris Potter. You know, it's like, right. but it's like, why and how and how do I get to there? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really cool equation to try and solve. That's, uh, something I, you know, me too. I'm still, still mm-hmm. constantly searching for that and, uh, honing my voice, you know, on my instrument. Right. Yeah. It takes years, you know, it, um, also the process, the, the progress is so slow that you can't, you, you, sometimes you don't notice a difference in months, you know, and you're stuck there trying it and you have to be constant and at one point, at least, I don't know how it is for you, but for me, uh, I'll have a recording session or a gig. It's like a, an event that kind of makes me realize, oh, I got better, you know, in the last six months. Oh, but yeah. then maybe there's six months of me just being like, oh, God, why do I sound like that? <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, delayed gratification. Sure. And, that's an you important know, one. Trumpet is pretty unforgiving, so... I go through a lot of periods where it's like, oh, I clearly haven't practiced enough over the last few days, and I can tell, you know. And we'll just pause real quick here to say that this podcast is brought to you by Gig Boss App. Gig Boss App is free on iOS and Android platforms. If you are a working musician, a band leader, if you are playing in a dozen bands and teaching private lessons in the afternoon, and you're just trying to find a way to organize it all, check out Gig Boss where you can create groups, create events, you can tag groups to events. Uh, and you can track all the details, whether or not you've been paid, how much gig pays, and all that great stuff. And it's free. You did mention at, at one point um, Charlie Parker. Did you find yourself coming back to Charlie Parker later on? Were you, it's like, was Fusion like a gateway? And then you were like, oh, I do like all these. I mean, Charlie Parker's 
pretty shreddy you know it's like it's a different yeah. kind of shreddy but it's like you know that, that i had the same feeling i think getting into bebop was was came much later for me um mm-hmm. even more in, in recent years where i've started to kind of transcribe some charlie parker solos it took me a long time to get to the point where i was like oh yeah maybe it's a level of understanding intellectual understanding i don't know but uh, did you find yourself coming back to to cp yeah actually i did um i took a lesson with melissa aldana she's an amazing tenor player from chile and she told me, you should be transcribing Parker for a year. And yeah. she's like very extreme. You know, she actually told me that when she starts transcribing a person, she'll do that person for one or two years wow. and um, nothing else. <laughs> That's a little too extreme for me. But I took that um, I took that advice and maybe I transcribed three or four Parker solos and, and then I moved on. <laughs> Yeah, sure. That's such mm-hmm. an interesting idea, though, to to get into the, to really get into the head of an artist. I mean, that's that would really kind of get you deep into into yeah. one person's head. I remember Marquise Hill saying sort of the opposite. It was like he'd never transcribed full solos. Really, it was like his thing was like I like this lick, so I'd transcribe mm-hmm. this lick, and then I'd learn that lick in all twelve keys, or I'd find this other lick or these passages, you know, rather than right. constantly transcribing full solos, uh, which mm-hmm. I thought was a really that was on. Um, John Raymond has a great podcast uh, that uh, he had Marquise on, and he's, mm-hmm. he mentioned that. I thought that was so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's so interesting how everybody has a different approach to music, to jazz, improv, but then we're all kind of on the same end, you know? It's yeah. so interesting, too. Oh, how do you do it? How do you do it? Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think a lot about how there are people that are like study, that study jazz music that end up doing major touring, like Kamasi Washington's first really big gig was with Snoop Dogg, you know, and like here you oh, are, somebody who got into saxophone, gateway, fusion, you know, studied jazz, and you're touring with Pitbull. Like how, how much do you feel that your knowledge of that music helped you get the gig? I mean, we could talk a little bit more in depth mm-hmm. about like all the various <clears throat> things that went into you getting the Pitbull gig, but um, you know, I, I see so many jazz musicians touring and major touring companies. Do you feel like that's a great foundation for playing other music as well? I feel, oh yeah, totally, totally great foundation. Cause everything else, um, I mean, it made me get proficient technically at my instrument. Right. Um, and for this gig specifically, uh, musically, it's not hard. It's nothing like playing a bebop jazz gig, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the challenge that I find in it is um, the performance, which is something that as a jazz player, you'd never really pay attention to because you could just be standing there playing all these beautiful notes and nobody cares about what you look like, right? But um, on the stage, well, okay. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I agree that that's what jazz musicians think. I agree that jazz musicians think that. I don't think that people actually don't care what we look like. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think that jazz musicians could do a lot to to package the music better. But we, we oh, can talk I about that. Totally like, but I totally agree. I'm, yeah, cool. <laughs> uh, well, well in, this, um, in this gig, right, um, the first things that actually, yeah, like one of the first things that the team told me was, hey, this is all about the performance, right? Like, you mm. have to look like a rock star. I'm also playing the guitar. Yep. Um, and you have to look like a rock star. So let's start with your rock star outfit, right? So I had to look and get a rock star outfit, rock star hair. Um, when we were in rehearsals, they pulled me aside a couple of times and were like, hey, you're standing very awkwardly with the guitar. 
And of course, it was because I was trying to not screw up, right? But they yep. were like, you know what? You have to look like a rock star. So um, the most challenging, bar- challenging part for me has been able to dance, move around, jump, make faces, interact with Pitbull, uh, interact with the cameras or yep. the crowd, you know, and at the same time, playing tune and playing time. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's it's really hard, you know, and uh, when I first started the gig, it was the two month tour. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like jumping into this huge pool without any experience in all these things together. Right. So it took yeah. me about 10 gigs of the tour to start feeling comfortable. At first, I was terrified. You know, I was, oh, my God, I have to just takes pay attention to so many things at the same time my brain is gonna collapse yeah. and now uh, actually my parents saw me on the tv uh at the gig yesterday and they were, my mom said a comment like oh you look so much more confident and so much more relaxed and you, i could tell you were having so much fun you know and that means so, so much to me because that was the hardest part you know just have fun and Stop thinking so much, which has yeah. been a recurrent thing in my life, too, you know, sure. as my teacher. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, actually, like, the first thing that Pitbull told me uh, during the rehearsals was, um, hi, Lucia, you know, no matter what happens on stage, you have to have fun, which, I mean, of course, he said it like, hey, Lucia, no matter what happens on stage, you got to have fun. And I was like, hell yeah, we're going to have a good time. But then it also seemed like a warning you know, in a way, uh, sure. no matter what happens. So then during the tour, um, we got sick, you know, actually he got food poisoning and I got sick uh, twice from traveling so much and mm-hmm. we still had to do the show. Right. So, yeah. well, I think it's great. <laughs> you, you, you having to put on a face, having to perform, having yeah, to, having, having to, to execute, you know, no matter what the circumstances, I remember hearing a masterclass where Nicholas Payton talked about that, where he was like, I practice when I'm sick. I practice when I mm. feel great. I practice when I'm sad. I practice when I'm happy. It's like I practice in every situation because I'm going to have to perform in every situation. Right. That's and it, a, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Exactly. The audience doesn't care if I am not feeling well that day. It's like they paid for a, a great performance. Totally. Uh, I, I think that's so interesting. And it's so interesting to hear the perspective of like, having to perform having to put on having to entertain right i mean it's like that's the aspect of that music that's like not only are you having to execute and really like the music might be simpler but it's like it needs to be perfect right it needs to be exactly Mm. perfect uh especially when you're talking about songs that everyone knows where everyone's singing the lyrics or everyone's singing the guitar solo or whatever it is it's like that's such an important aspect of of playing music that's that's uh you know, on that larger scale. I think that's really interesting to hear. I was going to say, when we're playing Fireball, do you know that song? Yep. Um, And the saxophone line is about to come. I can tell the whole stadium just starts looking at me because I'm about to play the line, right? Yeah. And I'm dancing, I'm hopping around, and I'm thinking, please don't squeak, you know, don't get out of tune. Um, And I was going to add to this that, I have been, I kind of, I took a month off in January this past month. I was visiting my parents in Peru and I didn't touch my saxophone at all. I think mm. I played once because my mom was like, hey, can I, can you play for me, please? And I was like, of course, mom. Yeah. Um, 
But what I did was focus on eating so much like fruits. Um, I quit. Actually, I quit coffee. I'm having my first cup of coffee in three weeks right now. Wow. Um, I didn't drink almost at all, except for maybe a glass of wine with my family. Um, you know, just like healthiest lifestyle. And I was going to the gym five times a week, and I did a lot of cardio. Yep. And um, I focused so much on my physical well-being that this gig yesterday was a breeze. You know, I... Yep. Um, that has mental effects too, right? I mean, it gives you oh, confidence to feel strong, to feel healthy. Right. And also the energy that I have now is insane. I have so much energy. I feel so happy just all the time, which is kind of weird to say, I guess. I'm just like in a content state, you know? Yeah. Because um, I feel that my body is working at very high capacity right now. And I think that's very, uh, very important for this kind of gigs, too, where you're jumping around. And yesterday we were in 80 degree uh, weather with the sun in your face, you know, and I'm like, well, if I had done this gig maybe three years ago where I wasn't taking care of my body, I probably would have passed out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, that's something that also musicians don't really talk much about. But exercise for me is huge and just taking care of my body. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, mm -hmm. I can see that. And, and you know, I, I feel like the, the relationship between how your body feels and how your mind feels and how your mind feels and how you perform are so connected. When, you're sh when your mind is sharp and your body is sharp, you just feel confident. So you talked about like, you talked about playing your solo and thinking like, don't squeak, don't squeak. It's like, mm -hmm. like I read Mamba Mentality, Kobe Bryant's book. And, and you know, part, part of the thing is like, it's visualizing what you want to happen rather than what you don't want to happen, right? Thinking about what you mm. want to have. So like, I'm going to play this solo perfectly. Getting in that yeah. mindset, that killer instinct mindset, I think uh, being in good physical shape and mental shape is a huge part of being able to project that confidence. That, and that's the kind of confidence it takes to execute right on that huge level when you're in front of TV cameras and 100,000 people and playing in stadiums. I think that's so cool. Yeah, the mind. The mind. The mind. The mind. You got to train the mind and just be strong, you know, have a strong mind, positive and yeah. strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I knew you as a student at McNally Smith. I, I saw how hard you worked. I remember walking through the practice rooms and hearing you practice for hours mm -hmm. every day. I know what kind of work you put in uh, to get mm -hmm. where you are. So that being said, how much do you feel your presence on social media was a factor in getting the gig with Pitbull? Or like, how was that process? What did you have mm. to do first? And like, did they look at your socials? What, what, was that was that taken into account? Actually, so the way that I got the gig was um, kind of funny because when I first moved to the US in 2013, 2014, I bought a ticket to New York because my dream was I'm gonna go to New York. Yep. I wanna see that city. And I just went by myself for a month and I met this saxophone player, Mario Castro, who was playing a gig with Miguel Sanon. And I, I was all like, very like innocent and shy. I just approached him and I'm like, hey, you sound really good. And he's not that much older than me. So we kind of chatted. Um, he also speaks Spanish, he's Latino. And mm -hmm. two days later, I think I saw him at the subway in the stop and I was like, hey, it's you again, cool. you know. And <laughs> we exchanged uh, Instagrams. And then I didn't see him for seven years. I don't even know how long anymore. Hmm. But uh, when the MD was looking for a person for this you know, spot, for the Pitbull gig, he asked him, because he's a friend, 
um, and Mario recommended me, you know? So Wow, seven years later. Yeah, seven years later. Holy uh, so I get a message from him on Instagram being like, hey, do you, you play guitar too, right? And I'm like, well, it's been a while, but sure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's how it happened. So it was like a kind of word of mouth thing seven years after. Um, and about the social media, I don't, I don't know if it helped in this. I'm sure it probably did because... Um, social media now is kind of like your presentation card or whatever yep. you call it. Uh, I'm sure they went through my social media, you know, and I am a very, I like have high standards for myself. So I guess like the stuff that I put out there, I always try to be perfect, immaculate, good, you know, so I'm sure they looked at it and were like, oh, you know, she can play. Um, yep. and that's a factor in why they called me for the auditions. That's very cool. You know, yeah. I, I heard a similar story. Uh, there's this trumpet player, Rex Richardson, who's this amazing, like, classical and jazz trumpet player. He, like, tours all over the world and premieres new classical works. He's like this virtuoso trumpeter. Um, mm. And he was in New York, and he met uh, Lester Bowie, the famous trumpet player, and uh, they exchanged information. It was a similar story. It was, like, six years later, he got a phone call from Joe Henderson, and Joe Henderson was like, I got your name from Lester Bowie. Could, do you want to come on tour? So Rex ended up touring with, Les, with, uh, with Joe Henderson on mm -hmm. a recommendation from Lester Bowie from six years or something prior to um, that moment. <laughs> I, I think it's so interesting to think about like how your various connections, you know, because if, like, if you hadn't gone to New York, he wouldn't know who you are, you know? Totally. And, and it's like, if you think about yeah. how it takes time for those things to develop, it's especially when we're talking about like people you meet in college or like other friends of yours that are around your age that are also developing in music. It's like, it takes everybody time to get connected into then be able to reach across and go like, Oh, Hey, I've got this stuff going on. Could you, could you collaborate with me or whatever? Um, it's like that those, th you know, it takes time for those, those trees to, to kind of develop and, and to bloom into something. That yeah. Sometimes years, almost a decade, you know? Yeah. Um, when I was in, in Peru, still in high school, I went to see a master class of Arturo Sandoval. Yeah. And I remember this always stuck with me, but he said, he was telling a story about how he got certain gig and, uh, how he got called randomly one day and he just made sure that he was always prepared and at his best, you know? So he just repeated this several times during that master class, class always be prepared, always be prepared, no matter, because the opportunities are going to come yep. and you just have to be at your 100% all the time. So when they come, you can go for it and you can make stuff happen, right? So I've always kind of tried to do that at my you know, my best. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've always like worked very hard. You know, like I've prioritized music and my career over friends, over, you know, fun and yep. relaxation so much these past 10 years that I've almost been in the United States, you know, where, um, uh, I think it, it pays off, you know, you just have to put the time and the work and you have to really want it. Yeah. And sometimes you don't know what is it, you know, so it feels like you're maybe fishing in the dark for years. But then um, things start happening, you know, they opportunities come when people see your work ethic and you just have to be prepared. Like, yeah, Arturo Sandoval said, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
how do you get in that place? How, how do you get into a place where even when you're struggling, I mean, it'd be easy to look at your social media accounts and to see that you're touring with Pitbull and be like, oh, Lucia's got it all figured out. And it probably, it, mm. it, it looks easy. It looks like it was easy for Lucia. Like was mm. the last 10 years easy for you or was that a struggle? Did, were there times when you were like, what am I doing? You know, and how oh, did you fight totally. through those moments? Um, I don't know. Like I've always tried to, take stuff kind of calmly like I don't know I don't really dwell much about stuff I think in general I'm kind of more like oh you know whatever like I brush stuff off really fast yeah. in my life so I think that has helped in a way too and like I I also like I mean I'm gonna go back to working out but like the gym you know lifting weights that's been a big part of my life for 10 years and it's also a lot of delayed gratification because you put in the work and you don't see your body changing or your muscles getting bigger right away you have to wait maybe a year or two years right so I've I guess I like things that are painful <laughs> you know sure. and that you have to wait and the music has been the same you know and uh, learning English was the same I mean when I moved here to the US I couldn't speak English and then I figured it out you know yep. so I don't know, like with music, I think um, I think you just really have to want it. That's one thing, you know, and um, you might think, oh, I want the, I want a tour and I want to uh, travel and I want to eat good food and I want to be in the plains, you know, but that's not what it's about, really, because you can also do that if you want to, you know, you can travel. But um, I mean, it's a job. You know, um, it's hard. It's not, of course, on social media, you see it's, everything is great. But mm -hmm. I've had so, like, it's been hard. Even the Pitbull gig for me, you know, mentally, um, I had never been under so much pressure because those gigs are super high pressure where everything has to be timed and everything has to be perfect, you know. And when you're not performing and you're not there yet, you feel very overwhelmed you know so um i think you just have to really want it and it is the whole thing you know it's like the beautiful things about it but also the really painful you're tired underslept you know sometimes you perform and you are sick yeah. uh, sometimes you perform and you're sad and you have to pretend like everything's fine so um yeah just want it i want it gotta want mm -hmm. it so if you're going to talk to somebody who is a young person coming up today that wants to make it in the industry, maybe maybe it's somebody that wants to do, like, let's talk about your YouTube channel. So you've got, mm -hmm. uh, you're about to hit 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. Um, like, how did you build your YouTube thing? Did, is it about regular content? Is it about finding a niche? Did you Do, or do you post a, a bunch of random things? Like, how did you get to where you are mm -hmm. on, on that site? Um, I think um, I did kind of find a niche because... I follow a few saxophone YouTubers that make great content in English, right? And they're doing great. But then I noticed that not many people were doing it in Spanish. Mm. So I was like, oh, I got this whole market for myself, right? Yeah. Well, there's a few, but um, I just did it. You know, I sat down one day and I'm like, I'm going to figure out how to edit videos. And I'm going to watch a lot of other videos to get ideas from and references, right? So um, that was kind of my my pandemic project mm. and my goal was I want to get monetized and I want to um, make 
it to this certain amount of subscribers. So I just did it. Yeah. And, but you're doing it and you're doing it obviously something that people want to see and you're doing well with it. Um, you're, you're, so you're building your passive income. Like something that I want to talk about on this podcast a little bit right. is how artists are building that. Cause I think a lot about how like we, uh, we, you know, as musicians, as as self-employed individuals, we sort of have to work for every single dollar we make. If we're not working, we're not making money. And so, mm -hmm. how do we get to the place where even when we're not working, we're still making money? You know, it's like how do we as artists yeah. get to that place? And so, how do we build passive income? So, I, you said mm -hmm. monetizing your YouTube channel. You've got the things happening with streaming on Spotify. Are you? Is that a focus for you? Is building up some passive income? Totally, yes. Especially during the pandemic, right? Like, I think that was a big eye-opener for old artists. Yep. Where you're like, oh, there's no gigs. Now what do I do? So, yeah, it was a very big focus for two years. Um, so I did Patreon for a while. Hmm. I did YouTube and I got some music out on Spotify to get some Spotify money, which isn't great. But, yeah. but yeah, that's something that it's always in the back of my mind. You know, how can I... What if I have an accident and I injure my hand and I can't go tour, you know? So yeah, exactly. Um, you see, I mean, there's so many ways the educational online stuff, uh, during the pandemic had kind of a boom, you know, so, um, writing eBooks that worked very well for Chad, um, merch. Yeah. Yeah, all sorts Adam, of stuff uh, Adam Larson did a bunch of that too. A bunch of yeah. ebooks, e saxophone related etudes and stuff. I bought a couple of those for tried to play them on trumpet, but, Woo! <laughs> Some of that saxophone stuff is not made for us. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I think that it takes such vision for you to see uh, the 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 opportunity there for for you know content in Spanish related to saxophone and 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 gear. Um, I think a lot about the intersection between opportunity, timing, and your skill set. And, and uh, mm -hmm. I think it takes real, like a real business mindset to go like, oh, look, here is a, here is a niche for me to fill. And I could actually, you know, I could actually fit in this space. I mean, that's, that's like being a, a business owner, you know, it's like seeing opportunity totally. and, and going towards it. Um, I think that's so cool that I, I don't know if I have a question related to that. I just think that's so cool <laughs> that you saw that opportunity and took it upon mm -hmm. yourself to kind of make that content happen. I never really, I don't know anything about business. Like I, I wish I had studied more of that in school, but I do see my peers making cool stuff and I'm like, oh, I want to do that too, you know? And um, so I, I always try to stay uh, on the look um, to what other people are doing, you know? And then things just figure themselves out, I guess. But yeah. yes, it's important to see yourself as, I mean, I know we're musicians, but... We're definitely our own, you know, we're, we're a business. And that's why I like to stay in good health because I am my own product, right? And right. this is what I have to offer. And somebody told me, like, uh, I was talking in another podcast, I think, about exercise. And uh, this person said, oh, yeah, and that's also, like, what you bring to the Pitbull gig, you know, like, your, your hard work and your physique, you know, your appearance. And... And I'm like, as a woman, sometimes that's kind of like, it's a tricky subject, right, to yeah, dive into. But I'm like, you know what, I, you know, I work very hard, you know, to stay healthy and in shape. So I think that totally adds value to me as a, an artist, mm -hmm. as a performer. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting thing in the world of like 
uh, in a world where we have like body images dictated to us, you know, that's I think that's a tough, tough thing to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that's a great attitude to have is that like I'm taking care of myself and that can look differently for everybody. It's like I'm taking care of myself mentally. I feel strong. I present myself as as confident and strong on stage. You know, there, there are mm-hmm. plenty of body images that can fit that description. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think it's all about where you're at with your head. I think that's a I think that's a really cool thing. What are you, what are you working on right now, Lucia? Do you have do you have mm. new music coming out, a new album? What what's going on? Yeah, actually, I'm going in the studio next week to record three or four tunes for my album. Awesome. Um, that's a big one. I I, I just want to put my own stuff out there. You know, I'm kind of uh, I love being a side person, but I also want to explore being an artist myself and what that means. Um, and it took me a while to get to a point where I was confident enough as a like as a person and in my playing. Yep. Where I'm now, I'm like I really want to do it. I can't wait, you know. And uh, so yeah, I'm making it happen. That's awesome. Do you, do you mm-hmm. have like a, a set band? Are you doing features? Are you thinking strategically a little bit about like featuring friends of yours that you've met on social media, maybe other YouTubers or anything like that? Not well. I do have a couple things, yeah, a couple surprises, uh, but it's mostly music with my friends, you know, music awesome. with people that I've been playing with for years, um, and also for me like, specifically, I love fusion and I love jazz, but I also really like pop. You know, I started taking singing lessons and I love to dance. So I know that if I could be born again, I would have wanted, I would have loved to be a pop star. Nice, and <laughs> that's kind of like. <laughs> very alter ego with my jazz personality right so um i don't know i'm like gonna see how i can make everything happen because this album that i'm about to record is like fusion like kind of out there odd meter intellectual stuff but i also want to do smooth jazz because i love smooth jazz and i also want to do a vocal album because i want to sing and i want to be able to um I mean, I don't know if this is ever going to happen, but I would love to just be on stage and be able to express myself singing because then your hands are free and you can dance and you can move and you can emote with your face in different ways that you can't with a horn instrument, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, this is these are all things that I have in my head that I want to make happen. I'm yeah. probably going to make happen at some point. You're going to make it happen. You're going to make it happen. Positive yeah, affirmations. Totally. Yeah. Positive and of course, affirmations. You have a full, you have a front row seat, right? Uh, at, with Pitbull to, to sort of watch that in real time and to see how he handles being the front yeah. person of a thing. And you can take all that knowledge you're learning and apply it. I mean, that's that's such a cool thing about being a side person and, and experiencing some big tours and networking and meeting people in that scene. It's like, you know, when you're ready to spread your wings, then you've got, you've got the connections to make it happen. Right, and also the role model, like you said, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's very cool. I've been doing a little singing myself. I, you know, do do you find that you've, are you self conscious about your singing? Is it is it taking time to feel confident about that aspect of music making for you? Totally, yes. Also, singing was always scary for me because, um, when I was like eight or so, I had a I was in choir in school and I had a little solo and I squeaked so bad. So then I got traumatized. <laughs> traumatized forever. For life, yeah, one oh, of those no. childhood things. So I always said, oh, I don't sing, I don't sing, until a year ago I started exploring singing while I was driving, hmm. and 
it started getting better, you know, because I was doing it more. Yeah. And now I think I'm getting to a point where I could sing. Cool. Yeah. But That's it's awesome. hard. Yeah. It's like uh, so exposed, you know, it's instead exposed. of having an instrument that yep. you can put your hands on. It's mm -hmm. you. you. It's feel? like really you, right? It's you're right. really putting yourself out there. I mean, I, I feel similarly. I mean, I, I grew up singing like I grew up. I was in choir and jazz choir in high school and stuff. And I had a little barbershop quartet sort of pseudo boy band that I sang with in high school. And I, when I went to study jazz, it was like that was super shunned. You know, it was there's a weird there's a weird disconnect between jazz musicians and singers. They're they're like they don't like singers and they don't like right. other music than jazz either. So there's this weird thing of like, oh, you grew up listening to that. You shouldn't listen to that anymore. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it took me until recent years over the last five years where I felt like, you know what, this is who I am. I grew up listening to hip hop music. I grew up listening to R&B music and soul music and doo-wop music and the Temptations and a lot of Motown. And it's like that's a part of me, too, just like listening to Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald was a huge part of mm -hmm. my coming up in middle school and high school. Um, and you know what? The the Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald records, I was singing along to those records. You know, I wasn't mm. playing my trumpet along to those records, uh, interestingly. I mean, those were killing bands. I was like Oscar Peterson on the piano and Ray Brown on bass and Buddy Rich on drums. I mean, it was like a ridiculous band. Uh, and so I was listening to great swinging music, but I was also always really interested in singing. So, yeah, I mean, actually, the intro-outro music for this podcast is a song of mine where I'm, like, singing and layering a whole bunch. Of, actually, it's the song that you, you recorded saxophone on. I was going to so say Sunshine. Yeah, Sunshine, yes. yeah. That's so funny. I forgot that <laughs> I forgot that I had you on that. Oh, I can't um, wait to hear that. Yeah, so that'll, eventually that'll come out. But, yeah, like, mm -hmm. I've got other things, too, now that I'm, like, I'm trying to do it all in my home studio and send it out to people and have people kind of re-record my bad parts that I put down. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been a trip, no doubt. I asked Corey <coughs> Wong the same question. Actually, we were when we were doing the session with Kaz. I was like, "Hey, man, do you mm. feel it's like do you feel con self conscious?" Because he had just released a couple songs where he was singing. My dogs are barking here, uh, <laughs> and uh, and he was like, "No, man, I'm good. I just I just do it." You know, it's like he's yeah. got he's got mad confidence, which is awesome. That's what it takes. Also, I mean, as a sax player, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but I've been I've been so into the saxophone for the past 10 years that now I'm a little over it. I think it's just a phase though, but okay. <laughs> I can't, I'm functional in the saxophone enough that I can do the things that I want to do. Yep. So I want to explore other sides of myself as a human, you know, and also to, to grow and to not just be so boxed in, yep. in one thing. So, uh, of course, dancing for me is a big one. I'm, you know, I'm going to start taking dance lessons again that I know is going to help my career in another way, you know, and right. the singing lessons that I'm taking, uh, piano, you know, I love guitar and you, there's just so many things that I want to do and that I know are going to add to my musicianship and my myself as an artist in maybe ways that aren't directly, you know, to the saxophone, but... Um, I don't know. Did you ever get to a point like that with a trumpet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the trumpet really punishes you a lot if you're not putting tons of time into it. So right. in, in that way, it's hard to just be like, I'm going to take a month off a trumpet. Like, I, I don't mm. ever do that. I've never done that. Um, but Insane. I I definitely, you know, like I'm, I'm practicing a lot of bass. I love to play the bass. And, and when I'm practicing bass, I'm like, I'm listening to like, like Jamerson. I'm listening to like, 
Jackson Five records and like practicing. You know, I'm not I'm not like listening to old jazz records and playing bass. Yeah, I'm like listening to funky, soulful stuff. And so, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, like I, I I'm with you. Like I also you get to a point and you're like, okay, I'm known as this, but like, what am I actually? And right. and I I feel like that's an ongoing process that never really ends. And re, like real genuine artists, they're always searching for what, uh, searching for themselves, you know, right. in the music. And yeah, that look can at manifest. Miles Davis. Yeah, look at Miles. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, so many the Beatles. Yourself. Like the Beatles yeah. are a great example. You know, it's like they they weren't just mop tops forever playing. I wanna hold your hand. All right. It's like they they went and did tons of other other things. Um, it's, I think the, you know, the real true artists are, that's, that's, that's where they're at, you know? And, um, I mm. think that's beautiful that you're, that you're in that space and that you're ready to explore and grow and continue to, to take over the world. Right. Yeah. I mean, we still, I'm, I'm still in my twenties, so I got so much time left. I'm yep. like, there's going to be several versions of myself, I hope. So we'll see. We'll explore. Well, I don't need to keep you any longer. This has been super awesome. Thank you so much for for coming and talking to me. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Yeah, catch up again sometime. And, you know, maybe after your record comes out, you can come back on and talk to us again. Oh, I would love to. Sweet. Hell yeah, let's make it happen. Thank you. Sweet. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yep, all right, see ya. See ya. All right, that was my conversation with Lucia Sarmiento. Lou Sarmiento, you can find her on... Uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. I'll uh, post all of those links in the description of the show and on our blog at gigbossapp.com. Again, this uh, episode is brought to you by Gig Boss App. Maybe you play in a band, maybe you play in a dozen bands and you need to organize it all. Uh, you can use Gig Boss App to keep things straight. Check it out. And stick around a little here and you'll be able to hear Lou's incredible saxophone playing right here. Thanks for hanging. <laughs>